Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Friday, October 6, 2023. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, looks like Microsoft is inches away from getting the Activision acquisition over the line. Hardware ambitions are one thing, but OpenAI might also design its own silicon. Microsoft's new version of Teams is finally not the most resource-hungry piece of software on your computer. And of course, the weekend long-read suggestions. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Looks like we might be able to close the loop on this one at long last. A source is reporting that Microsoft plans to close its $68.7 billion Activision acquisition a week from today, October 13th, with a final decision from the UK's CMA allowing the deal expected to come down next week. Quoting The Verge. That date will still depend on the UK's Competition and Markets Authority, though, a regulator that blocked Microsoft's deal earlier this year. Microsoft recently restructured the deal to transfer cloud gaming rights for current and new Activision Blizzard games to Ubisoft, and the Xbox maker secured preliminary approval from the CMA late last month as a result. The CMA has a deadline that expires today on gathering opinions over whether it should grant consent to Microsoft to proceed with the merger. A final decision from the CMA is expected next week, and barring any surprise, last-minute changes should allow Microsoft to close the deal. Microsoft and Activision extended their deal deadline to October 18th recently, but if Microsoft is able to close the deal next week, it will bring to a close a 20-month process of regulatory approvals and battles across Europe and the U.S. a little earlier than expected. Here in the U.S., the FTC is still appealing an outcome of a hearing with the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and a decision on that is due in early December. The FTC is also planning to resume its own administrative case against Microsoft's proposed Activision Blizzard acquisition. The administrative case will commence 21 days after the Ninth Circuit rules on the FTC's appeal, with the hearing held virtually. The FTC could attempt to undo Microsoft's deal, assuming it closes on time, but it would face an unprecedented uphill battle." End quote. I find the rumored ambitions of OpenAI to be hella interesting. We've heard of them thinking they need their own hardware platform, but what if they also started doing their own chips? Quoting Reuters, OpenAI, the company behind ChatGPT, is exploring making its own artificial intelligence chips and has gone as far as evaluating a potential acquisition target, according to people familiar with the company's plans. The company has not yet decided to move ahead, according to recent internal discussions described to Reuters. However, since at least last year, it discussed various options to solve the shortage of expensive AI chips that OpenAI relies on, according to people familiar with the matter. These options have included building its own AI chip, working more closely with other chipmakers including NVIDIA, and also diversifying its suppliers beyond NVIDIA. The effort to get more chips is tied to two major concerns CEO Sam Altman has identified a shortage of the advanced processors that power OpenAI's software, and the, quote, eye-watering costs associated with running the hardware necessary to power its efforts and products. Since 2020, OpenAI has developed its generative artificial intelligence technologies on a massive supercomputer constructed by Microsoft, one of its largest backers, that uses 10,000 of NVIDIA's graphics processing units, or GPUs. Running ChatGPT is very expensive for the company. Each query costs roughly $0.04, cents, according to an analysis from Bernstein analyst Stacy Rasgun. If ChatGPT queries grow to a tenth the scale of Google search, it would require roughly $48.1 billion worth of GPUs initially and about $16 billion worth of chips a year to keep operational. 
It's not clear whether OpenAI will move ahead with a plan to build a custom chip. Doing so would be a major strategic initiative and a heavy investment that could amount to hundreds of millions of dollars a year in costs, according to industry veterans. Even if OpenAI committed resources to the task, it would not guarantee success. An acquisition of a chip company could speed the process of building OpenAI's own chip, as it did for Amazon and its acquisition of Annapurna Labs in 2015. OpenAI had considered the path to the point where it performed due diligence on a potential acquisition target, according to one of the people familiar with its plans. The identity of the company OpenAI examined purchasing could not be learned. Even if OpenAI goes ahead with plans for a custom chip, including an acquisition, the effort is likely to take several years, leaving the company dependent on commercial providers like NVIDIA and advanced microdevices in the meantime, end quote. You might have noticed this, but Microsoft has rolled out its new version of Microsoft Teams, which has been in preview since March, rebuilt from the ground up to be less resource-hungry on Windows and macOS. Quoting The Verge, The new version of Teams is up to two times faster while using 50% less memory, according to Microsoft. That's good news to anyone who uses Teams already, which has been particularly resource-hungry on older laptops and PCs. Installing the new Microsoft Teams app should be three times faster and launching or joining meetings two times faster, with the app now taking up 70% less disk space. All of these performance improvements are thanks to Microsoft ditching the Electron Foundations of Teams and moving toward Microsoft's Edge WebView 2 technology. Microsoft has also moved to the React JavaScript library and focused on improving the Microsoft Teams design with the Fluent Design Language system for several UI improvements. The new Teams has been in preview for months, but during that time, it was missing some features that Microsoft has now added to the final version. We have made notable progress since the launch of new Teams in public preview, said Microsoft product lead Anupam Patnaik. Quote, new Teams now has full feature parity for almost all features, including custom line of business apps, third-party apps, breakout rooms, 7x7 video, call queues, PSTN calling, contextual search in chats and channels, cross-post a channel conversation, and more, end quote. New Microsoft Teams features will now be delivered exclusively on this new Teams client, so businesses will need to upgrade. There's no migration required, though, so upgrading should be as simple as an update. Microsoft says classic Teams users will be automatically upgraded to new Teams in the coming months. The new Teams client also wasn't available initially for Mac users earlier this year in preview, but with the final release for macOS, there are also improvements for Apple's devices. We're also seeing significant performance improvements on Mac, including the ability to switch between chats and channels faster and access relevant information quickly and efficiently with a faster scrolling experience, says Microsoft. Teams works natively on all Mac devices, including those with Apple Silicon, giving Mac users an improved app experience. This new Microsoft Teams client is also the foundation for the company's AI-powered Copilot push in Teams. You'll be able to use Copilot in Teams to summarize meetings, read action items, and avoid long threads of conversations to get to the key points, end quote. Selling a little? Or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ka-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere. 
From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify transformed ResumeWriters.com from the spaghetti code backend I cobbled together in college to the world-class commerce platform it sits on today. And Shopify can do the same for your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash ride, all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash ride now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ride. Guys, we don't have to choose between hair growth and our health. Nutrafol's drug-free, whole-body approach promotes hair growth from within. No compromises, just better hair. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement brand with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair with less shedding. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day. See results in three to six months. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 84% of men showed improvement in their hair after six months taking Nutrafol's men's hair growth supplements. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com men and enter the promo code RIDEHOME. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com men, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com men, and enter promo code RIDEHOME. Time for the weekend long read suggestions. First up, the New Yorker has a deep dive into a question we keep coming back to. If AI has been trained on the web, but the web is going to be run over soon by tons of AI content, where will AI go to teach itself in the future? Quote, a major leap in AI may come when LLMs start seeming curious or bored. Curiosity and boredom sound like they belong to an organic mind, but here's how they might be created inside an AI. As a rule, chatbots today have a propensity to confidently make stuff up, or as some researchers say, hallucinate. At the root of these hallucinations is an inability to introspect. The AI doesn't know what it does and doesn't know. As researchers begin to solve the problem of getting their models to express confidence and cite their sources, They will not just be making chatbots more credible, they will also be equipping them with a rudimentary kind of self-knowledge. An AI will be able to observe from reams of its own chat transcripts that it is prone to hallucination in a particular area. It will only be natural to let that tendency guide its ingestion of further training data. The model will direct itself towards sources that touch on topics it knows the least about, curiosity in its most basic form. If it can't find the right kind of training data, a chatbot might solicit it. I imagine a conversation with some future version of ChatGPT in which, after a period of inactivity, it starts asking me questions. Perhaps, having observed my own questions and follow-ups, it will have developed an idea of what I know about. You're a programmer and a writer, aren't you? It might say to me. Sure, I'll respond. I thought so. I'm trying to get better at technical writing. I wonder if you could help me decide which of the following sentences is best. Such an AI might ask my sister, who works at a construction company, about what's going on in the local lumber market. It could ask my doctor friend, who does research on cancer, whether he could clear up something in a recent nature paper. 
Such a system would be like Stack Overflow, Wikipedia, and Reddit combined. Except that instead of knowledge getting deposited into the public square, it would accumulate privately in the mind of an ever-growing genius. Observing the web collapse this way into a single gigantic chatbot would be a little like watching a galaxy spiral into a black hole, end quote. Then, Fast Company takes a look at an interesting question. Why is Bandcamp profitable, but Spotify, after all these years, still isn't? Quote, Bandcamp bakes heterogeneity into its platform in a way that Spotify's one-size-fits-all service erases. So while Spotify has created a technically complex platform for simple transactions, Bandcamp has created a technically simple platform for complex transactions. The result is that Bandcamp is able to reap the benefits of what's known as fat-tailed distributions, in which a minority of individuals comprise the majority of sales. The same logic followed by venture capital firms whose bets on one or two unicorns make up for all the other portfolio companies that go bust. As I found in a recent analysis, about 20% of Bandcamp customers account for 80% of the site's total revenue. And within this 20%, the sale of physical goods becomes increasingly important. More than half the objects that the very top spenders buy on the site are physical. And among those objects, vinyl records are more popular than all others, including CDs, tapes, and miscellaneous merch combined. On average, artists who sell the most physical stuff make the most money on the platform, and among the different kinds of physical stuff they sell, the association is strongest with vinyl. Among the highest-selling artists on the platform, 30% of all the items sold, including all non-musical merch like t-shirts, are vinyl records. Among the lowest-selling artists, vinyl was roughly 5%. Downloadable albums and tracks move in the opposite direction, with top-selling artists moving fewer digital goods as they move up the sales rankings." End quote. Here's your history hit of the week from Ars Technica, a deep-dive look at Digital Equipment Corporation. Quote, Unless you use a Mac, your computer's CPU has its roots in a DEC processor that failed in the market. In the late 1980s and 90s, DEC was looking to change with the times and evolve its VAX line. In 1992, it introduced the Alpha AXP, later shortened to just Alpha, a RISC-based processor designed to compete with the other RISC chips on the market, such as Sun Microsystems Spark and Hewlett-Packard's PA RISC. DEC was getting its lunch eaten by the RISC guys, particularly Sun, but also, to a certain extent, Silicon Graphics with their MIPS products, both of which were based on this newfangled RISC environment, says John Culver, a CPU historian and operator of the CPU shack. Alpha won up them all by being 64 bits at a time when everything else was 32-bit. Bits don't change the processing power, they just change the amount of addressable memory. And back in 1992, no one was worried about the 4-gigabyte theoretical memory limits of 32-bit computers. In that regard, the Alpha was way ahead of its time. Everyone was like, why would I need more than 4 gigabytes of RAM? It was the right thing to do, but it was too early. You see that in a lot of things where they're ahead of their time and people don't know what to do with it, said Culver. And finally, this is not tech, but from the New York Times, a look at Hollywood's set guru, the guy who designs the sets for a ton of movies you've seen for decades, now including the upcoming Killers of the Flower Moon. Quote, Since the 1970s, Fisk has been one of Hollywood's most sought-after collaborators, legendary among auteur writer-directors for his ability to help them realize their most ambitious projects. He has built boundless, intricately conceived worlds for Terrence Malick, The Thin Red Line, Paul Thomas Anderson, There Will Be Blood, David Lynch, Mulholland Drive, Alejandro Inarritu, The Revenant, and others. He is the artist that filmmakers hire to bring the American past to the screen at the impossible human scale it once existed. 
Jack belongs to one of those now rare species of filmmakers who understand film from almost a Renaissance-like tradition, Inarutu says. He knows photography, nature, architecture, drama. When Scorsese began planning Killers of the Flower Moon, a lengthy process in which the director radically revised the script from a story centered on the murder investigators to one following the victims, Paul Thomas Anderson told him, you have to get Jack. But Fisk, who is 77, can be notoriously difficult to entice to a film. Since 1970, he has designed relatively few. At one point, he took nearly 20 years off. When Scorsese approached him, Fisk was excited by the opportunity to collaborate with the director, but also by the chance to excavate a world rarely depicted on screen. The film takes place in a sliver of lost time, one wedged between more familiar depictions of Native Americans in the 19th century and the well-worn imagery of the Roaring Twenties. Bringing this moment of cultural collision back to life would represent as sweeping a challenge as Fisk had ever faced. The story unfolds in about 40 sets, as varied as Masonic lodges, Osage funerals, and federal courtrooms, spread over a million acres and costing about $15 million of the film's $200 million budget. The sets would represent a kind of culmination of Fisk's career-long obsession with reclaiming the rough contours of American history. More than any one aesthetic vision, he has sought over half a century to scour away the visual cliches that mar films, seeking beneath them the vivid wood grain and forgotten colors of the past, end quote. All right, a ton of show news for you. First up, I will be in San Francisco from Sunday through Wednesday. We're going to try to hold the listener meetup on Monday night at 7 p.m. at Johnny Foley's, which is at 243 O'Farrell Street, right around the corner from Union Square. Again, Monday night at 7 at Johnny Foley's, 243 O'Farrell Street. That's also right across the street from where the conference is, so if we spill over, I guess we can head to the hotel lobby. Anyway, in order for you to make it easier to recognize me this time, I think I'm going to try to remember to pack and wear my Arsenal jersey, which is red, in case you were not aware. So hope to see some of you on Monday night. Look out for the Arsenal jersey with Saka on the back. I know it is a Monday night, but what can we do? And frankly... NYC, we've never done a listener meetup, so we should plan one of those soon. Next, Monday is a bank holiday here in the U.S., so I will not be doing a show on Monday, but I do have a bonus episode for you this weekend, so I think I'll release that on Sunday night, so it'll be waiting for you on Monday morning. Look for that, another great Portfolio Profile episode. And if you're attending the AI Engineer Summit, which is the conference I'm in town for, Please make yourself known to me. I can't promise I'll be wearing an Arsenal jersey all week, but you'd be surprised how often people recognize me from my voice. So talk to you on Tuesday, unless I talk to you in person first. 